All right, good evening. Psalm 85, the book of the Psalms, Psalm 85, we'll read the entire Psalm, <clears throat> 13 verses, we'll read that, but principally, um, I'll make some comments about the beginning, but principally we will be in verse 10. Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, please help us as we come to you and we open up your holy word. You are our Father which art in heaven. Your name is hallowed before us. Oh God, we need your grace and your help, Father. Not that we don't need it, at any time, but we need it very much now. Father, when we open the bread of life, I pray that you would speak to us. Oh God, we know not what shall be on the morrow. We know not what providence awaits us. And so, Father, may we live our lives with a holy zeal. <clears throat> Father, may we, may we seek you, Father, in your word. Father, with all of our might, with all that is in us, may we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, Heavenly Father. Speak to us. Bless your people this night. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 85, 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, and thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Verse 4, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out, or Lord, will you prolong your anger to all generations, to all future generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them, let us not turn again to folly. Surely his Salvation is nigh them that fear him, that revere God, that glory may dwell in our land. Verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness or justice and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. <clears throat> Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps or shall make his footsteps a way for us to walk in, as it means. Well, this psalm, beloved, if you go back to the beginning, it begins with the psalmist's prayer of thanksgiving. And I want you to take note here. He thanks the Lord for Israel's deliverance. This was in, in all probability from Israel's uh, Chaldean or Babylonish captivity. 
And the psalmist was thankful that God had brought them back to their land. It's as if he's praying, thank you, Lord, for being gracious to us. And, and listen to the past tense. And for forgiving us for our sins. And for taking away all of thy wrath. And thy fierce anger, which was against us. So it's past in the first three verses. But then in verse 4, you'll note that the psalmist prayed that God would cause his anger toward them to cease. It's strange because he already thanked God for delivering them from his fierce anger. But then he prays that God would cause his anger toward them to cease. Remember, he's already prayed, Thou hast taken away thy wrath from us. And then in verse 5, he says, Will you be angry with us forever? Will your anger continue? Will it be drawn out or be prolonged to every successive generation? And so you get the sense here in the beginning of this psalm, verses 1 to 3, and then in following, you get the sense that the psalmist feared that the people of Israel would sin again. And though they were delivered from their captivity in Babylon, he feared that they would sin again and they'd find themselves in another fix that they just were saved out of, physically saved out of. <clears throat> that they would again find themselves in the place of having offended God. Be wonderful to be in a place where you did not offend God at all, wouldn't it? it it's what we should desire. I don't want to offend God at all in my life. And so that's where I want to live. And that seems to be what the psalmist here is praying for that God would never again be angry with him, with them. In verse 4, he cries out, Turn us again, O God of our salvation. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. In Psalm 80, you don't have to look there, but three times in that psalm, the psalmist cries, Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. You must save us, God, if we would be saved. In verse 6, he says, revive us. We're dead. We're tired. We're lifeless. Revive us means quicken us. Verse 7, show us thy mercy. Grant us thy salvation, which, by the way, is the only way we'll ever receive salvation, is if God grants it to us. But how does this transaction happen? See, the psalmist looked for more than, and I'll get to how that transaction happens in a moment, but the psalmist looks for more than physical deliverance and salvation. See, when the Christ came in the days of his flesh, the religious elite, the teachers of that time, and many of the people wanted deliverance from Rome. They wanted deliverance from their earthly captives, from their oppressors. But the psalmist looked for more than that. He looked for more than a physical salvation. He looked for more than being delivered from the dominion and power of their earthly enemies. He looked for an eternal and lasting salvation from the dominion and power of sins. The psalmist looked for that. He looked for a salvation that would be permanent. He looked for a salvation in which God would never again be angry with them. But he knew the people of Israel and he knew that they might once again find themselves in the same fix. So how could this permanent and eternal salvation come to them? 
How could it be that God, God's anger would cease toward them forever? Now, we're looking back and reading this psalm. You know the answer. You know that Christ has delivered us from the wrath of God, never again to be upon us. We know that. But the psalmist is waiting for the Messiah. The psalmist is waiting for this mercy, this personified mercy. When we get to verse 10, I want you to notice these four attributes. They're personified as if they're people meeting, kissing. They're personified as if perhaps there was a discord between them. And the psalmist cries out, Lord, you must turn us to you, O God of our salvation. You must change our hearts. Verse 7, the psalmist cries out, Show us thy mercy, grant us thy salvation. You must save us from ourselves. So Psalm 85, 10, and if you're there, teaches us how that happened. How that happened in the mind of God. The psalmist teaches us mercy met with truth and righteousness or justice as it means and peace kissed each other. This divine meeting, this compact between these attributes of God took place in the mind of God in eternity past. Truth, mercy, justice, and peace. If you know anything about them all, and I'll, I'll give you some more details on them in a moment, but they're different. Listen, if God had not determined to intervene on our behalf for our salvation as sinners, truth would forever be against us. Truth would forever be against us, and justice would demand that we be condemned and sentenced to death. That's what justice calls for. Dangerous thing to be under the shroud and umbrella of truth and justice only. See, justice would never be silenced or satisfied until man died for his sins against truth. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden. God says, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was God's command. That was God's truth. The man violated that command. And so truth was violated. And so justice stood up and said, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now listen, when you think about these attributes of God, they are attributes of God. God is merciful. God is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is justice, and God is also a God of peace. So when you think about these attributes of God coming together, doesn't it almost seem to you when you read this that there was disagreement before and discord, disharmony? If now they're meeting and kissing, well, what was going on before that? Well, we know when man fell into sin... The relationship between God and man was fractured. Man was no more at peace with God. Now the man was estranged from God. He was separated from God. He was at enmity with God. 
he was cast out of the garden of God. <clears throat> so it seems like there's discord here, disharmony. But, beloved, listen, there's never been discord or disharmony between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In that Holy Trinity, there's never been any discord between any of the attributes of God. So we need to understand what's going on here. It was always in God's eternal plan to save fallen sinners, fallen and condemned sinners. Listen, I heard a preacher say one time, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God was not surprised and God was not taken aback when the man sinned. We must know that. You must know that. It was always in God's eternal plan to save fallen and condemned sinners. But now, truth and justice were against the man for his sin against God. Truth and justice stood against the man. So how are we to understand this meeting between mercy and truth, meeting, and between righteousness and peace, kissing one another? How are we to understand this? Well, first consider this, that truth and righteousness or justice, when you see the word righteousness, it, it means justice. You know what justice is. You know, justice is what Abel's blood cried out for from the ground. Remember that? Justice. You hear people that have been offended or perhaps a loved one has been murdered, what do they cry for? Justice! Rarely in the human court do you ever hear the cry from the one that has been offended for mercy. They cry for justice so often. There are those rare times. <clears throat> Truth and righteousness or justice and justice are very rigid. They are stern. They are severe. Truth and righteousness. That's why as a Christian, beloved, you don't want to go out witnessing the gospel and beating somebody's beating somebody over the head with the truth of the word of God without being merciful and compassionate. That's not what Jesus did. Mercy and truth, if you read in the scriptures, you can look in Proverbs, you look, look here in the Psalms, you can see that mercy and truth are sisters. They go hand in hand. Proverbs 3.3, 3, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And don't let one of them forsake you. Because either one without the other is off balance and a false balance is abomination to the Lord. So that's who truth is. There is no bending or compromise in truth. If there is, truth ceases to exist. If truth does not compromise, it doesn't bend. Justice can only be satisfied with judgment and punishment. In this case, death. Justice called for death. On the other hand, mercy is tender. Mercy is mild and compassionate. Mercy is full of pity and sympathy. Mercy is clement. And peace seeks agreement. Peace seeks harmony. Peace seeks friendship. We're to follow after peace as children of God. But we're not to sacrifice any of the other attributes for the sake of peace. You ever done that? 
I have to my shame. Listen, only God could bring these four attributes together for the sake of condemned and fallen sinners. Often in human relationships, when one commits an offense against another, truth is compromised. You ever done this? Truth is compromised for the sake of peace. And then you really don't get peace. It's like, oh, oh, it's okay, it's okay, when it's really not. An off-balance mercy sacrifices truth to make peace, and it's not really peace that you get. And mercy is given, when mercy is given without truth, and when mercy is given with no regard to justice, this only perpetuates sin, rebellion, and irresponsibility in the offender's heart. Makes them worse. So you can't sacrifice any of them. And so you look at this compact that happened in the Godhead in the Trinity. And how did God make it work? We know how God made it work, beloved. So how can a holy and offended God show mercy and peace to us, the offending sinners? How did God show mercy and peace to us? When we were the offenders, we're the ones that disobeyed the truth. We're the ones that deserve justice. How did God do this? How did God affect this salvation for us? We couldn't do it. Well, God did it by fulfilling truth and satisfying justice for us. God did it to save us. So first understand that God is just. God is just. God's not going to just let sin slip under the rug. God's not going to just pass it by without justice. God is just. He cannot and he will not compromise or cast the truth aside for the sake of mercy. Like we may sometimes do. That's not who God is, beloved. And listen, we're not God, but beloved, when God saves us, he gives us truth. He gives us mercy. He gives us peace. And he makes us just. God gives us those things. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Let me just show you one verse. Deuteronomy 32.4. I love this verse. I've been thinking about this verse for really it's been a couple of weeks. <clears throat> there are so many places that we can go. But <clears throat> suffice this. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. Moses writes, he is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, or means just. A God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Just and right is he. So again, understand that under the heading that God is just, he, and he cannot and will not compromise or cast truth aside for the sake of mercy or peace. But God is also gracious. He's merciful. God's plenteous in mercy. He's long-suffering. He's a God of peace. But God will not leave justice undone for the sake of peace. God won't just make peace for peace's sake. For peace's sake, if I can say that. 
He won't be merciful just simply that there might be peace when the truth has been violated and justice is not satisfied. Psalm 103 and verse 8. Psalm 103 and verse 8. The Lord is merciful. When you say that word, don't say it fast. Say it slow because it, it, it brings in more of an understanding. Merciful. You could say full of mercy. He's gracious. Slow to anger. And he repeats, he's plenteous. He's plenteous in mercy. Look at Psalm 117. We'll read the whole psalm. Don't worry, it's two verses. He says, oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. See, truth is not compromised. And mercy is still intact. It's still in place. So how do these four attributes of God come together without any compromise? How do they come together in the stead of ruined and condemned sinners in our place? How do they come together? Of course, you all know the answers to that. Listen, when Adam fell into sin and disobeyed God's truth, peace and friendship between Adam and God departed Eden. Think about that as if they were persons. Peace and mercy, they left. They turned their faces. But righteousness and truth stayed right there. Righteousness and truth frowned upon the man and called for justice. Justice cried, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Hear, hear, said truth wholeheartedly with agreement, while mercy and peace turned their faces away from the man. Truth and justice continued to frown upon him. But then just as justice was about to fall upon the guilty and condemned man, God intervened and made known his secret and eternal will to be merciful and forgive man and to restore peace between God and man, but it would not be without a cost. How could there ever be mercy and peace for sinful man while truth was violated and justice was not satisfied? Well, we know, beloved, the great reconciler, our God. God, because of his great love for the man, turned mercy and truth back to the man when he sent Christ to die in his place. Look at Psalm 85.11. It's the next verse. It's wonderful. I believe it points to our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 85, 11, Look, it's right after that. He says, truth shall spring out of the earth. I think of that passage in Isaiah. He shall be as a root out of a dry ground. So truth shall spring out of the earth. And look what happened. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. That's beautiful, isn't it? I love that. Yea, the Lord will give that which is good in our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps or shall make his footsteps as a way for us to walk in. And Peter tells us we should follow in his steps. 
And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. What was he full of? Grace and truth. What is mercy? It's a grace. He was full of mercy and truth. It was perfect. He had mercy and truth in his life. Listen, in Christ's death on the cross, righteousness or justice was satisfied and appeased. You know that. This is how this compact happened. So justice was satisfied and appeased and mercy was able to forgive man for his sins because the penalty for his sins was paid in full. The man was now justified in the sight of God and peace could once again turn her face toward the man and there was once again peace between the God and not the God, between God and man. Look at Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. This is a wonderful passage for you to meditate upon, to think upon. It's a wonderful passage for you to use to tell others about Christ. <clears throat> In Isaiah 9, 6, the scripture, you want to see where mercy and truth came together? Look at this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know why he's called the Prince of Peace? Because he secured that peace between God and man. He's the one that made reconciliation between God and man. It was his blood, beloved. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, do you see that God's anger doesn't continue? Because in his government, there shall be peace. Peace of peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53 so remember in Christ's death on the cross justice was satisfied justice was appeased mercy was now able to turn her face back toward the man because the Christ paid the just penalty for the sins of fallen man paid in full Isaiah 53 and verse 5 notice there but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. It rested upon him. If we were going to have peace with God, his peace would be taken. When his father would turn his face from him. And he would cry those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Beloved, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. It depended upon him, beloved. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 10. <clears throat> Yet it pleased the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Remember, 
man sinned and so death came to man and so it must be a man to pay the penalty. God would only accept the sacrifice and the offering of a perfect man. And this was our Lord Jesus Christ. His soul was an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Beloved, if not for Christ, justice would never be satisfied on our behalf. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear, he shall bear their iniquities. In Christ's death, God was unwaveringly righteous and just. Truth was honored and fulfilled. When Christ, the Son of Man, died for the sins of the world, that happened. That's when justice was satisfied. Now, because of the death of Christ, God is both just and, you know it, the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Look at Romans 3, and we'll wind this down. Not too much tonight, but enough... I pray to get you excited about your own salvation. This wonderful passage of the Word of God. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, obligated to obey it, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed. This is what the prophets spoke about, the law and the prophets, even the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ, who perfectly kept every jot and tittle of that law. Do you see how God, we're about to see how God is just and the justifier. We're about to see how truth was honored and truth was kept by this perfect man. And now, by our faith in Jesus Christ, beloved, we honor the truth of the law. And it is to all of them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Notice, here's the cost, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth. He determined to set him forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation involves that the justice of God rested upon him. And he satisfied and appeased the justice of God. So whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So all of those sins of the past of the Old Testament saints, they were laid upon Christ. He, sa he says to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier 
of him that believeth in Jesus. God was just because he laid our sins upon Christ. And now God can be the justifier of everyone that believes in Jesus. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have, there's peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more anger. There's no more of that. So for all who believe in Christ, truth and justice are no longer against you. Truth and justice are no longer against you. Justice was done by God upon his son, if you believe in Christ. And now mercy and peace can turn their faces back. God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so the psalmist's prayer, and I'll finish here, the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 85, his prayer for God's anger to cease forever was answered at the cross. Future to the psalmist, but answered to us when mercy and truth met together in Christ and righteousness or justice kissed each other in his sufferings and death on the cross for a world of sinners. What a beautiful divine kiss and embrace between mercy and truth, righteousness and peace. Oh, beloved, what a beautiful salvation we have in Christ. And I pray that if you're not saved, know this. If you're not saved, then truth and justice are still frowning upon you. Mercy and peace can do nothing until you turn from your sins to Christ. Seek ye the Lord, saith the prophet Isaiah, while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Lord, thank you for this beautiful psalm, Psalm 85. Lord, I pray that it would be in a chief place, Lord, in my heart and my thoughts because it points so perfectly to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I'm so thankful for your truth. Oh God, I'm so thankful for your justice. I'm so thankful for your mercy. So thankful for your peace. But I know that when I was lost, Father, I was at odds with you. I was at enmity against you. But now in Christ, oh God, I enjoy your truth, your mercy, your justice, and your peace. Thank you so much. Thank you for that wonderful divine meeting and that holy kiss. Oh God, help us, Father, as your children, to walk in your truth each and every day. Help these, my dear brethren, as they go out into the world. Oh God, I pray they would be encouraged, oh God, and that you would strengthen them in their walk with you, oh God. Please receive all the glory and the honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>